Praise God. Hey, everybody. So I'm Johnny, and uh, I've been in church since, I think, before they called it church. Um, uh, like, like my buddy here was saying, I come from, from uh, a ministry family. That's all I've ever known since I was a little boy. To kind of give you a nutshell of, of who I am, um, I was five years old when I was baptized with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues for the first time. I was uh, five years old when I first started singing. Um, I was uh, eight years old when I started playing guitar. I was eight years old when I got baptized in the water. And, you know, back then you had to go through the Sanhedrin before you did that. Uh, So they questioned me and asked me all kinds of pointed questions. They wanted to make sure that I understood what I was doing. And they gave the nod to my father. He's good, you know. So I went and got baptized. I was 11 years old. Um, when I became what they, back in the day, I, I grew up Pentecostal holiness. So I joke with everybody back where I was coming from, especially in the Latino. And if you haven't noticed, I am Mexican. I know I hide it really well. But, but maybe it'll help you if I started speaking like this, you know. Just to let you guys know that I am a Mexican and, and I like to be this way, all right? But uh, uh, frijoles, burritos, all that good stuff, you know. That's me. And so back in those days in the, in the Latin churches, in the Pentecostal Latin churches, man, everything was a sin. Everything. What you did was a sin. What you failed to do was a sin. Then you became a teenager. You were the embodiment of a sin. So everything was a sin. There was no way to look around it, you know. And so I grew up with that. So back in those days, they didn't have youth pastors back in the day. They had youth presidents or youth leaders, right? So I became a youth president at the Pentecostal Church El Buen Pastor in Sunnyside, Washington when I was 11 years old. And all the kids that I was pastoring, I would do their Sunday morning uh, Sunday school. I would teach them their Bible lesson. They were all 13 and older. There was 125 kids and I was their, their pastor, so to speak, at the age of 11. I started preaching when I was 12 and I went into full-time ministry when I was 14 and that's where I've been all my life. So that, in a nutshell, that's me. So I tell people, you know, I, I, I did all my sinning in church like good Christians are supposed to, you know. I don't want to go out to the world to sin. I'm going to do it here. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know. So, I, yeah, I spent a lot of time. I lost God in church. Not out there. I have no idea. I can't relate to you if you've done drugs, if you've been out dancing, and if you've done, I don't, I can't relate. I don't know any of that. But if you've been a crusty Christian right here, hey, I feel you. All right. I know what it's like. And so God has brought me through a lot of a lot of amazing things. And uh, to give you another little short story, and I'm trying not to do my dad was the kind of guy that like like Wayne, Wayne was saying he was not quiet. OK, he didn't need one of these. Okay. Not at all. Everything he did was yelling, you know. And the word of God says, you know, and that's the kind of preacher. Uh, for those of you guys that are more older, you'll remember guys like R.W. Shambach and those those tent preachers. That was my dad. And my father in his ministry, he raised three people from the dead. Um, I was there when he did one of them here in the U.S. And, and uh, God used my father and my mother in, in incredible ways. And I think I was 19 years old when I discovered that. Not all churches did that. I thought that was a Christian thing, that every Christian that believed in Jesus could raise dead people. 
and heal people and make them walk and all this kind of stuff. I remember being in, uh, in Oregon, in um, Salem, Oregon. We lived in Salem, and I went with my dad. He went to pick me up at school, and we're heading home. But we get to a traffic light, and Dad would do some weird stuff at times. And he would say, and all of a sudden he said, okay. And I looked at him and I go, what, Dad? And he goes, okay. And he took a left turn. And I said, where are we going? And he goes, hold on, hold on. And he's driving along, right? He would just say, wait, 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 wait. Driving along. And then he'd say again, okay, and take another turn. Dad, where are we going? Wait, 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 wait. So when we're driving, we get to a mall in Salem. He pulls in. I go, we're going to the mall. And he goes, espérate. Just wait, you know. And I'm like, okay, I'm a kid. You know, you obey dad or die. It's... <laughs> Obeying came easy for me. I love to be alive, you know. So we get off. He parks. And I go, dad, where are we going? Wait. And so I'm following my dad, you know, and he's got those big, long strides. You know, he's walking his normal pace. I'm walking double that, you know. We go in, and we're walking through the mall, and he's, like, looking around. I go, what are we looking for, Dad? And he would go, ah, okay. That was my final be quiet thing, right? So when he said, ah, okay. So I'm, like, following him around, and I'm trying to help. I'm trying to be a good son. But how do you look for something you don't know what you're looking for? And you're like, is it that? Is it that? You know, so I'm following him and he's walking and we get to this area in the mall where there was this big old round fountain thing. You know, it's one of those breaks where you've got different ways that you can turn. And I see kind of catty corner from where we are way across on that side. There's this elderly woman and she's got one of those little walkers. And you know how they, and they take, you know, and they're doing that whole thing. And, and as she's doing that, dad's like looking around and he sees and then he starts heading straight for her, right? So I'm following my dad. I get over there, and he's he's six foot one, weighed like 9,000 pounds, <laughs> and he had one of those voices that did not sound nice. I mean, it was rare when you heard my, my dad say, oh, my little boy, come here, Papa, come here. It was rare. His voice was always like, lady, and she looks up, <laughs> and then he goes, you're probably going to think this is crazy, but God told me to come and pray for you. And she looks at my dad and she goes, thank you, Jesus. And she begins to cry, right? So now I'm watching as this lady's holding on to her little walker thing. And, and she tells my dad, she goes, and she pulls out of her little pocket this, this jar of pills, a little medication. It doesn't work anymore. And the doctor says he can't do anything for me anymore. I've been in so much pain. And my dad goes, well, you don't need those things no more. God's going to heal you right now. Lift up your hands, right, in the mall. <laughs> so now you tell me, when security guys see a giant Mexican, a little white little old lady with her hands lifted up, <laughs> what are you going to think, you know? Right? So I'm like looking around, and I'm a kid, but, you know, I got a brain, and I'm like looking around, and my little brain is saying, this doesn't look right. <laughs> and so the, the, the elderly lady lifts up her hands, and she's trembling like this, you know. 
And my dad, again, he's not one of those, Father, in the name of Jesus, we just pray for my sister right here. That's not dad, right? Right in the mall, lady's got her hands up. I'm standing there looking around. People are walking by, you know, with their bags, and they're all looking now. They're all starting to kind of slow down and look. And, uh, and dad yells, Father, in the name of Jesus. It echoed, right? And I'm like looking around, and, and this lady's like that, and he goes, I command healing! I mean, just yelling at the top of his voice, and he put his hands on her head, you know, like, break that thing. <laughs> Boom! And she goes, ah, and she screams. Right when he, when he put his hand on there, right? I see two security guys, <laughs> and they start walking toward Dad, and I'm like, I'm like caught in that slow-mo thing, you know? You know? And they're coming and they're coming and they're coming straight to dad and God and dad goes, Jesus. And she screams and dad went, "Woo! hallelujah. And he turned around like that. And when he turned around and he did this, the guys looked at him, turned around and just walked the other direction. That little old lady began to jump up and down. My dad grabbed her walker and folded it and says, you don't need this anymore here. And she was, she's crying and walking, walking out, carrying her walker, right? That was, that was like a Tuesday, you know? Those kind of things were the things that my brothers and I grew up with. We were surrounded by that all the time. We didn't know any different. We thought that was what it meant to be a Christian. When I was 19 and we finally separated from mom and dad and my brothers and I started traveling and touring and ministering is when we started discovering that there were churches and Christians out there who had never, ever seen anything like that. I was shocked. I would be like, really, that doesn't happen here? To me, it was, it was weird. You guys have never seen that? What? You know, uh, a woman in Portland, Oregon, dad was pastoring a church in, in, uh, there in, in, in Salem. And he gets a call. You know, when you're a little kid, you want to go with your dad everywhere, you know. And I remember he gets this call, and I, I'm crying. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning. I go with your dad. I'm going to go. And he would always have this Spanish saying. I don't know where he got it, but he said, I don't want any ducks with me. That's what he would always say. I had no idea what that meant. But I wanted to be a duck that went with him, you know, and... So I'd cry, and then my mom would look at him like, come on, and finally he'd give in. Fine, get in the car, you know. So we went, drove all the way to Portland, got there. The family, my dad had known them. They were part of the church for a long time. In fact, some of this lady's uh, um, children he'd, were his same age. And they were. we got up in the elevator, opened the doors, down the hall, there they were. His, they had three daughters and two sons, and the daughters were just crying, I mean, out loud, weeping. Now, Dad had always been very militant in his way of being, really intense, you know. And he starts walking, and I'm following him, you know. And we go down the hall, and they're crying. We did not know, Dad did not know, that Sister Olvera had passed away. She had just died, and that's why her daughters were literally, you know, moaning and wailing and crying so here comes dad and i'm following my pops and and uh, he he's he's and he just yelled hey and they're all kind of like i mean loud in a hospital right so when dad prayed for anybody at the hospital you know he covered the whole wing 
because everybody, you know, six doors down could hear exactly what he was saying, you know. And so he's like, yells, hey, like that. And they all, they all like stopped in shock. And he goes, what's the matter with you? You act like you have no God. That's what he said, right? So he turns around and he sees the sister asleep. And he walks into the room and he's a big dude, you know, he kind of stands there in the doorway. And they're like all shocked. Again, we didn't know why they were shocked. So dad walks in there and he sees the sister. He didn't even realize that all the monitors and everything had been turned off. He did not register any of that. He did not know that the doctors had left just a few minutes before that and left the family there to grieve. He didn't know that. So he walked in and he did what he always does. He sees her asleep and he puts his hand on her forehead. And he yelled, Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak healing into this woman now. Right? Yelled and the whole, you know, everybody heard. Suddenly she goes, <coughs> and she opened her eyes, right? And my dad looked at her and his hair is all mangled. He's still wearing his pajama top. You know, his boots were work boots that were untied, you know, because he had gotten up and so he looks at her and he goes, Hermana, sister. And she looks in, in her weak voice, and I'm kind of standing by the door looking in. The family's in the hallway. They're kind of looking at each other like, what the heck, you know? <laughs> and, and I see my dad looked at her, and he goes, Hermana? She goes, yes. He says, how are you feeling? <laughs> she goes, okay. He goes, good. Well, Jesus healed you. I'm going to go home. I'm tired. See you Sunday. <laughs> and he turns around. Right? So I'm following my dad again, and he stands in the doorway. And again, you can't see inside. He's in the doorway. And he goes, there. There's your mom. Okay? And they're looking at him. They don't know what just happened. They're looking at him like, what in the world are you talking about? I think Pastor Ramirez lost his mind, you know. And he says, there's your mom, okay? And then he goes, vamonos, let's go. Right? So I'm following my dad. And we're walking down the hall, heading toward the elevator because he wants to go back to, Port to Salem so we can go to sleep, you know. We get to the elevator, and, and the whole time I'm following my dad, I'm kind of doing this, looking back at them, and they're just looking at us, right? Dad's not paying attention. He's heading, he's pressing the button, and he's standing there, you know. We get there, the door finally opens, and, and I'm still looking back at them. They're staring at us, right? When one of the girls approaches the room doors to the elevator open we get inside he you know you always turn around and 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 he looks and the doors are open i'm coming in and this girl looks in the room and goes <laughs> and hits the ground right we, we kind of went like that right so she bit at dust and 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 my dad looks at me and he goes in spanish Esta gente, these people and he looks at me and he says, you better never be like that boy. <laughs> Door closes. <laughs> Sunday morning comes and the church is like packed. You know, because all the people showed up. You know, that's the only time you get your relatives together and you kick the bucket. So this place is packed. And I remember I'm playing guitar. My dad comes up to me and he goes, hey, little boy, 
we're going to have church today. He was excited because it was packed, you know. And so he sit up there. And, you know, back in those days when they had those, do you guys ever, those, those of you who have been in church for a while, remember when they had those big old throne-looking chairs? Yeah, and, and, you know, my dad is six foot one, 9,000 pounds, and he looked like a little kid sitting in one of those, you know. And he would lean over in one arm. I don't know where he got it, but he wore these glasses, and he had his handkerchief, and he put it over his mouth. The whole service. While worship is going on, while everything, he's waiting for his time to go up and preach. And, and, uh, and he's like this leaning, has that pastoral, I'm in the zone look. If there is such a pastoral zone look thing, I don't know. But he's like that the whole time, you know. And the, the, the one brother is leading worship, and I'm down there playing the guitar, you know, because back then you couldn't put instruments up here. They were unholy. So we would put them down there. Down there was acceptable. Up here was not. Uh, so I'm down there playing the guitar, you know. And, and, uh, and uh, then they would have testimony time. They had petition time. They had special song time. And uh, so they had, they had any testimonies. So one of these girls stands up. And you know how folks are, right? They grab the microphone and they put it right next to their mouth. And, and I just wanted to say, and then you've got the sound man trying to turn it up. And you got, and then someone's always saying, pick up the microphone, right? And so that was happening. And, and she finally gets the microphone on. And here's, here's was her testimony. She said, I just wanted to say that my mom was when Pastor Mary that was her testimony. So the rest of the church had no idea what that meant, right? So we're all kind of looking around like, what what happened? You know, the other girl stands up and she walks and grabs the microphone, stands next to her sister. What my sister's been trying to say is that my mom and, and the mom's sitting right there, right? See, it was like, ah! right? So finally the oldest sister gets up and she grabs a microphone. Now she had a lot more self-control and she's like, right? And she says, what my sisters are trying to say is, we don't know if Pastor Ramirez knew but when he got to the hospital, my mother had already passed away. Oh, my dad's like this the whole time. And I suddenly see him go. <laughs> Still holding him. He's just opening his eyes like. And he looks over. Now his best buddy was his worship leader. His name was Segovia. And Segovia looks over at him and whispers. And they always called each other by their last name. Ramirez. My dad goes, yeah. He goes, did you know she was dead when you prayed for her? Dad goes, no. <laughs> so Brother Segovia says, well, what would you have done if you knew she was dead? Dad's still holding my Bury her. So, Brother Segovia goes, well, then I hope no one ever tells you if I kick the bucket. So those were the kind of things we grew up with, right? So there you have it. So I'm coming to you from that kind of, a, of an end 
of the of the whole deal, right? But I want to share with you something. Pastor Dan asked me to to uh, talk to you about worship. Now, worship is something that I've always been a part of, always been involved in. I've been a musician, like I said, since I was a little boy. And I've learned a lot of things over the years, you know. Uh, when you're a kid, you, you have opinions. When you're a teenager, you have a lot of opinions. When you're a young adult, every opinion you have is perfectly correct. Everyone else is wrong, right? <laughs> I've been there, done that. And now I realize that my opinions only matter after I went through all of that, right? For some reason, you become older and suddenly your opinions aren't opinions anymore. They're experiences. And now they matter. I don't like that. I wanted them to matter when I was 14, 17, 23, 30. But here I am on the other side of that. I'm 975 years old. I look great, I know. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm 53 years old now, and, and, and God has taken me through a lot of stuff. And I want to share something with you, and I'm going to hope not to take too long. Okay, bro? So you give me that Pentecostal credit, okay? All right, so I'm going to talk to you about something today. I, I titled this teaching, The Ambitious Worshipper. Okay? Um, I'm going to use that word ambition. And the reason I'm going to use that, especially growing up in my culture, uh, ambition is not a good word. Okay. Uh, according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, the top definition for ambition is an ardent desire for rank, fame, or power. That's the pretty much the top uh, uh, um, definition of it, right? So most people understand that word ambition in that way. There are those who are ambitious for wealth, fame, or power. For most Christians, that word usually has a negative connotation to it. Right. However, in a more positive light, ambition allows us to have a clear goal and drives us toward it. Right. So the truth of the matter is that many of us, we have ambitions. We have types of ambitions. We may desire uh, a better job to be healthier, uh, a better house for our family to live in. And the list goes on and on and on. Right. And if that's the case, all of those things are good, then the question I want to ask this morning is, should a worshiper be ambitious? And if so, what should the ambition of a worshiper be? Right? See, I'm not talking about personal worship. Each and every one of us uh, is, is at a different point in our journey with the Lord. Each and every one of us. So I'm not talking about personal worship like, you know, getting closer to Jesus or reading the word more. I'm talking about when we come together like right now in this building every Sunday, what should our ambition be when we come together to worship? Right? From the pastor to the worship leader to the congregation, what should our ambition be? Okay? Now, the reason I want to talk to you guys is because I want you to understand something. Worship is not the few minutes that we spend singing songs. Okay? Worship is not a musical style. You know, when I was growing up, the, what was considered worship was called Nortena music. It had an accordion. That was holy and godly. If I played my guitar the way that I play it now, 
That was not holy. That was not godly. That was worldly. I was nine years old. As I played my guitar, I had a sister, one of the leaders of the church that came up to me. She said, mijo, which means my son. Don't play like that. And I remember I'm nine and I look at her and I go, like what? She said, like that. That's worldly. And I said, okay. So I put my guitar down and I went and sat with my mom. My mom is talking, you know, it's right before service starts. We were playing a little bit of music and, and my mom's talking. Then she turns around and she goes, what are you doing? How come you're not playing your guitar? And I go, well, because Sister Paulina, she said that um, I was playing worldly. She goes, worldly? I go, yeah. And I remember clearly, guys, looking at my mom and asking her the question, what's worldly? So she looks at me and she says, well, worldly is, you know, someone who's in sin, someone who doesn't know Jesus, someone who lives in the world. And then she goes, who told you that? Sister Paulina. And my mom went to minister to her. Oh. So, so from the get-go, guys, it's not been easy for me, right? I had no idea, but that was the attitude that, that was around where I was growing up, all right? So I don't want to emphasize uh, personal things. What I want to know is why are we here? What is our ambition? Okay? I'm talking about us as a group, not individuals. So before we answer that question, there's a powerful truth that we need to recognize. And here's what I really want you to, to catch today. This truth will give us a strong foundation to build on, and we can find it in the very first book of the Bible. So let's go to Genesis, okay? Genesis chapter 11. And you guys have probably heard this story or read this story many times. I'm going to read out of the NLT, the New Living. It says, at one time, beginning in verse 1, at one time all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. Okay? Now, verses 1 and 2 here, they give us a foundation that I'm talking about. They were all in the same place and all saying the same thing. Like us right now. Right? Okay. So let's go on. Verse 3. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. Verse 5. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Who came down? Okay, so we are all agreed that God came down. Okay. God came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Now, God himself came down to check out what they were doing. So let's continue. Verse 6. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, check that out. After this, nothing, everybody say nothing. Nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Verse 7. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. Got it? Now, I want you to see if you caught that. 
Verse 6 is really incredible. Look at it again. It says, look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, after they do the impossible, is it possible to build a tower that will reach heaven? If you read the scripture, that's what they were trying to do. And we all know I come from Alaska. The higher you go, the harder it is to breathe. Right? So the thing is this, guys. Is it truly possible for people to build a tower that will reach the heavens? It's impossible. Yet, look what God is saying. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. See, God himself saying the people are united. They're saying the same thing. Now nothing they set out to do will be impossible. Think about that for a moment. The creator of the universe, God Almighty himself, is showing us something incredible here. The power of agreement. Not God's power. He's not talking about the anointing or the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the power of agreement. We know by reading verse 7 that he was against their plan. Amen? He confused their language because that plan wasn't his plan. But he made the statement, in other words, if I don't stop them, they will do this. Because they're all agreed. Wow. Isn't that incredible? You guys rethinking some of the stuff you should have been agreed about? Right? I mean, think about it. Buying this property, nothing. Buying the city, nothing. If you agree. So it stands to reason. If power of agreement is that strong, it stands to reason that without it, We can be extremely limited. I am convinced that denominational church wasn't God's idea. Can you imagine what believers in Jesus Christ would be able to accomplish in this world if we just agreed? But we can't. Because we're going to concentrate on the important stuff, like how long is your hair? Should instruments be on that stage or not? And that brother plays too loud. So I'm going to go to a church where the music is not that loud. The other young guy is going to say, I want to go to a church where they rock. Right? I want to go to hip-hop church, bro. So there we go. Right? No agreement. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 This is something I want you to see. This is what happens when they're in agreement again, but this time God agrees. Verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Does that sound familiar? Right? And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Again, they were all in the same place with the same goal. Most of the time when we gather at church, hundreds of people come to church every Sunday morning with hundreds of different reasons to be there. Yet the truth is incredible. The truth 
is that something amazing happens when we come together in one place and in one accord. We read it right now in second chapter of Acts there. They were all together, all in one accord when the Spirit of God fell. See, when we come together in one place, in one accord, something incredible happens. God shows up. Amen. This truly is a powerful truth, and it's the foundation for this teaching that I want to share with you today. So the question is, again, should we as worshipers be ambitious? And I believe the answer is yes. But then most importantly, we need to know what our ambition should be. Now, again, if we're going to look at it in a personal standing, every one of us is going to have a different reason. Amen? So you can see the conundrum, right? We're used to thinking personally. When I ask what should our ambition be, I'll bet within this body there's as many opinions as there is people. Right? So let's go first. Let's take a look at what we've learned so far. We understand from the book of Genesis that agreement itself has great power. From the book of Acts, we understand that we must be in agreement not only with each other, but with the Holy Spirit, with the Lord God. Right? So it stands to reason that we must first discover God's heart on any subject in order to agree with Him. Right? So we can't show up to church and have all these opinions and try to come together and create unity. It just doesn't work. What we need to do is figure out what we're talking about and then find out what God thinks about it so that we can agree with Him. Right? And once we agree and we agree with Him, there's no stopping this. You see, every one of us agrees with him, then we truly are totally all in one agreement, right? So let's get started. First, we must remember that the Old Testament, the Old Testament gives us physical representations of things that were supposed to be understood spiritually, right? We, we call that type and shadow. So as you read the Old Testament, people back then would see physical things of something that was meant to be spiritual. They didn't have the wonderful blessing of the Holy Spirit like we do now. So now we look at the Bible and we see things that are there physically happen that are some sort of spiritual meaning for us today. Amen? All right. So, that's why you have scriptures in there, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the earth. It's, it's a physical representation of what Jesus Christ was going to do. Amen? So applying that truth, Okay, we sh- what should happen during our worshipers or worship services at church, if we use that truth, type and shadow, and we go back to the Bible and see what the Bible says, and then we apply it f- spiritually to us, what should happen during our worship services at church? We can find out. It's easy. What does the Bible tell us about that? All right, so... There's another biblical study. It's called the law of first mention, right? The law of first mention is where you go back and you find where that topic, the very first time that it's mentioned, and you kind of follow the string as it's mentioned later in order to find out what it actually means. And that's how we create doctrines. It means the same here, same, same, same. Okay, so then this law for us means this, and this is why we follow it this way, right? So you do that. 
And uh, so we're going to kind of employ this same method for the purpose of this teaching. So let's go to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. And let me read this to you. It says, Then the priests left the holy place. Now this is the first time that the, that the temple of God was constructed in Israel. All right? The priests left the holy, place, the holy place. All the priests who were present had purified themselves, whether or not they were on duty that day. And the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Haman, Jedithan, and all their sons and brothers were dressed in fine linen robes and stood at the east side of the altar playing cymbals, lyres, and harps, or drums, bass, guitar, pianos. They were joined by 120 priests who were playing trumpets. See, we're missing the brass section at church today. Okay, I'm just saying. Get out there, people. Find those dudes. Bring them in here. Bribe them. Do whatever you got to do. Get them in here. All right. So the trumpeters and singers performed together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals and other instruments, they raised their voices and praised the Lord with these words. He is good. His faithful love endures forever. At that moment. When? That moment. When the dudes were playing, that moment, right? When the brass section was fired up, the drummers and guitar players are rocking it out. At that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service. That means the preacher just couldn't preach. The usher could not ush. The deacon could not deek. Right? There were no spiritual security guards. Those are those leaders that you see. The whole church could be ah, just worshiping God and they're doing this. I call them the spiritual security guards. Dudes aren't worshiping. They're watching you worship. For those, I just say, hey, parking lot. Go for it. Take care of my car. Keep your eye open. Make sure no one swipes it. In here, let's worship. Right? So, there weren't any of those. The ushers couldn't ush. Security guards could not secure. Nothing was happening because the thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud. For the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of God. Now, see, this is the first building ever built for the purpose of worshiping God. This is the first mention of what we now call a church worship service in Scripture. So the law of first mention literally tells us what's supposed to happen when we worship. So don't you find it interesting that in the very first church, at the very first service, the glorious presence of God was displayed when the musicians played their instruments? Musicians? Or do you come, musicians, to sing the song, get it over with, so you can go and have pizza afterwards? Do you see what I'm saying? Now, I'm not, I'm not you know, I, I thank the Lord that part of my mom is in me. And I'm not all my dad. Because I'd be screaming. And I would have said some other stuff. And if you ever want to know, just ask him. He'll, he'll share some of the stories of my father. 
and the way he was even when he ministered, especially when he got finally older. You know, you get to a certain age where you no longer care what anybody thinks. (laughs) You tell them to your face and you already figured, hey, I'm going to kick the bucket soon anyway. So here you go. Take it, you know. And my dad got there, too, believe it or not. Praise God. Anyway, I'll let Wayne share that, share that with you. Okay. First Kings chapter eight, verse 11 says, so the priests could not stand in their positions to minister because of the cloud for the glory and brilliance of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Amen. The temple. I believe our ambition should be for God's glory to be displayed. For his glory to fill the temple when we worship him. What does, what good does it do to have excellent music, sing great songs, but without God's glory? What's that for? Right? I was telling the musicians this morning, it's like elevator music. Have you ever been in an elevator where they're playing music? Do you guys realize that the moment you leave the elevator, you forgot the music? You don't remember what they were playing in that elevator? You're gone, man. And you know what? Church has become that for a lot of people. They come and they hear, All that is within me cries. And then they walk out the door and don't remember what song did they sing? I don't know. What did the pastor preach? Uh, the Bible. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Many churches have become that way. So there is no presence. There is no anointing. There is no glory. There is nothing. Just a group of people trying to encourage one another by their own human wisdom and all that they can. But guess what? Naturally, we are selfish. Right? Someone's hurting and we say, I'll pray for you. And we walk out that door and we don't even remember. That's why I adopted the thing, can I pray for you right now? Because I know me. I'm going to walk out the door and I'm going to look at my Jeep and fall in love all over again and forget what that poor lady needed. Right? I know who I, how I am. So we are naturally like that, okay? So I believe our ambition, whenever all of us come through those doors... Instead of saying, well, Lord, I know that I need to seek you more and I want to I want to find the Lord closer. I want to study the word of God more. Instead of saying, I, 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 I think we should come together and say, we, we want to see the glory of God displayed in this house. That's the moment we walk in all the other stuff. Just drop it. Drop all that junk. Drop it all. And if you guys walk in, I swear to Bob, as my little boy says, if you walk in next Sunday and every last one of you says, I just want to see your glory, Lord. Show us your glory. You're going to see a transformation happen in this place like never before. Conviction will happen with no one saying a word. Your musicians will actually turn into excellent musicians. And I'm not joking. I'm saying excellent to where when they play, you cannot help but feeling the presence of God. Do you think it was by accident that David was called to play on his harp when Saul was experiencing those demons? 
He didn't sing a word. He just played his harp and the demons, those spirits, left. Because of the anointing, the presence of God that was being displayed. See? 1 Corinthians 2, verses 4 and 5 says, My message and my preaching, one of my dad's favorite scriptures, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration. Everyone say demonstration. demonstration. With a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not, might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We can be smart enough to convince somebody for a moment, but only He is powerful enough to transform a person for life. Do you see what I'm saying? Have you ever wondered why so many of our children seem to leave the faith when they go off to college? I was talking to a gentleman just uh, a a week ago. says that it's up to 87%. 87% of all Christian kids that go to college end up leaving the faith. Why? Because up until now, all we've done is present them with a one-sided argument. We as believers tell them why they should be believers. And while they're kids and they're in our home, we convince them. But suddenly they go and meet these dudes that are so smart. And they begin to present them a different argument. One that makes sense. And they look at their friends and they look at their situation and they say, that makes sense. That makes sense. And you know what? Faith is logical. It doesn't make sense. It does not make sense to walk into a Safeway store, see a person on a wheelchair and walk up to them and and tell them, hey, can I pray for you? My God can heal you. That doesn't make sense. That's weird. But it works. More than good songs, more than good music, more than convincing words, more than than a a well-thought-out teaching, what we need is a demonstration of the power of the living God. As we read the Bible, we see it time and time again. Elijah calling fire from heaven. Elisha striking the water and and shouting, where is the God of Elijah? And suddenly the water opening up. Even in the New Testament, at the the gate called Beautiful, remember when Peter in Acts chapter 3 verse 6, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up, and walk. We got it everywhere. See, Peter told them, silver and gold, I don't have it. Peter knew that this man had already accepted his situation. His situation was an impossible one. And he had grown to live and move and do all that he did under that governor. That spiritual governor, so to speak. You know, in some of the company vehicles, they put governors in them. Where no matter how much you stomp on that gas pedal, it's only going to go up to a certain speed and that's where it's going to stay. You will not get any faster. You can stand up in the vehicle and step on that thing and it won't go any faster. Right? Many of us live under a type of spiritual governor. We don't even know it. 
We've been limited without even realizing it. Jesus said in John 10.10, He said, I come that you might have life and that more abundantly. Right? You guys have heard that scripture, right? I come that you might have life. In fact, some of us quote that scripture. But what does it mean? It's as if that spiritual governor has limited us only to the life part. I come that you might have life and we got that. But the more abundantly part, Never been there, never touched that, don't even know what that looks like. Amen? Remember that Jesus also told His disciples, Occupy until I return. Right? Luke 19.13 said, And He called His ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Right? The word occupy is a military term. It doesn't mean stay busy. That's what they used to teach me when I was a Pentecostal back in the day. Stay busy. Idle hands. You remember that one? That devil's workshop, right? So you had to stay busy. Basically, it was the emphasis was don't sin. Keep yourself busy enough so you don't have time to sin. Keep doing and keep coming to church. Keep paying your tithes. Keep giving your offering. Keep serving, 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 serving so you don't have time to sin. There was no enjoying life. It was just basically try to avoid sin. Right? Occupy is military. It doesn't, t- it doesn't mean stay busy. It means take over. Dominate. Dominate until I return. Take over this joint till I come back. See? We can never dominate We can never take over if the enemy has us living under his spiritual governor. Amen? We can never... Now, this sounds weird for teaching about worship, isn't it? But it is. See, our spiritual governor is the lack of ambition for the kingdom of God to advance. That's our spiritual governor. That's what we are under. That's why we show up on Sunday and we are content and happy to be here for the one hour and a half or whatever we are. Because we're down to a science now, you know. We can't go over that because that would be crazy. People won't come back. So we're here from this time till this time and we go out to eat from that time to that time. And then we go home and chill. Right? But that, that desire for the kingdom of God to advance, it's not there. If it were every one, every last one of your relatives, yeah, even the gay ones, even the ones that are doing drugs, even the ones that are in prison, they would know Jesus right now. Not because someone else got to them, but because you never left them alone. And they finally serve God just to get rid of you. <laughs> That's the way it's supposed to be. Right? Luke 19.13, he said, and he called his ten servants and delivered them. And he said, occupy till I come. We can't be under that spiritual governor, that lack of ambition for the kingdom of God to advance. we got to get out from under that thing. Again, the difficult part is discerning what is a true godly ambition. And what is just our flesh desiring to acquire more. See, for me it was difficult because under the guise of that holiness was this thing of this is how we advance God's kingdom. 
we were so holy that we couldn't talk to anybody. You know, uh, everything that I do on the guitar, it took me years to understand. I, I, when I started playing, I was a little boy, and, and, uh, and it was through a prophetic word. A lady came up to my parents after a service. I had broken a little toy guitar, and I was crying. And she said to, to my mom and my dad, Thus saith the Lord, this child shall play the guitar. When he turns eight years old, he will play the guitar for the Lord, and he will play it for the Lord for the rest of his life. My dad back then, he was very, very, and he, he would testify if he were still here. He would testify to it and he would say he was very male chauvinist. He didn't want women telling him anything. And I remember many times hearing him tell my mom as I was a little kid and he would say, if God wants to speak to me, why doesn't he send a man? What does he have to always send some woman? And later on, I heard him from the pulpit say, and isn't it interesting that the most major words that have been delivered to my life that have been fulfilled have always come through a woman. <laughs> and my mom would just laugh. And I remember they came up and, I, and my mom says that I was only six years old at the time. And, and she says that your dad goes, eh, crazy lady. She needs a cold shower. <laughs> All right. That's the way he acts. I remember... Later on, and one more year, I was seven years old, this preacher came through town and he was at the church where, where we went to church. Dad was not a pastor or a minister quite yet. And he came through town and he had this little, this little small acoustic guitar. Uh, back for the mariachi bands, back in the day they had those little, I don't know if you've ever seen them, you know, they're wearing their big old sombreros and they have a little tiny guitar and they're playing that. That's called a requinto. So he had one of those. And I remember being seven and looking up at him playing his little requinto. And you know what went through my mind? My mind, that seven-year-old mind said, he's too big for that guitar. <laughs> That's more like my size. And so you know how kids are. That, you know, that I was just very honest and I walked up to him and I said, I like your guitar. <laughs> and he said, you do me who? And I go, it's pretty. And he goes, oh, thank you. Can I have it? <laughs> and my mom, of course, was very, very embarrassed. Johnny, stop that. Go away. Go. Don't pay any attention to him. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but every time I saw that brother, I was hitting him up for his guitar. I'd look around. Mom's not here. Please, brother, give me the guitar. You're too big. You know. <laughs> I remember after bugging him and bugging him, finally mom and dad actually invited him over to the house to have dinner with us. And he was, he was having revival services at the church. And so he came over and, and I, I hit him up again. You need to give me the guitar. You're too big for it. It's little like me. You should give it to me. And my, and my mom was like, yo, Johnny, yo te dije, vete de aquí, por favor. Right? She went full Mexican on me and, and just, but he kind of smiled. And I think he was trying to use wisdom. And he looked over at me and he goes, come here, mijo. And I walked up to him, kind of feeling like. And he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to be going to California. He goes, and in a little while, I'll be coming back through here. If the Lord speaks to me when I'm in California, when I come back, I'll give you that guitar. And I said, really? He goes, really? You know, to me, that was a challenge. <laughs> See, and now... 
every night. Father, in the name of Jesus, tell him to get, speak to him, Lord. Give me the guitar, Lord. Speak to him, slap him, kick him, whatever you have to do. Just make, you know. That, honestly, that was my prayer. When he came back, I remember I was close to being eight years old. Uh, our school was right across the street. And uh, I'm walking kind of melancholy going home. And I see his van. I recognize it. And I booked it. Walked through the door. Didn't even say hello. Just slammed through the door and looked at him. And he's sitting there with my mom and dad. And I said, did God speak to you? (laughs) And he chuckled. And then he said, yes. And he handed me the guitar. You know, and I started just, you know, doing what a kid does with a guitar. I made a lot of joyful noise. (laughs) You know, and I'm going and... Later on, Dad tried to teach me some chords, you know. But, you know, Dad was one of those guys, you know, the very, very patient teaching types, you know. <laughs> Here, put, put, your fing- put your finger, yeah, no, no, no. The, loosen, let, let it release that finger, release. Okay, now put it right there. Okay, now leave it. Leave it. No, hold it there. Now this other one. No, don't lift that one up. And so this is my first guitar lesson. And it finally ended up in... in, No, no, no. Put the other ones back. Then finally goes, Ah, este niño nunca va a aprender nada. Which translated means this kid's never going to learn a thing. That was my first and only guitar lesson. And he walked off. So I went back to my joyful noise style. I don't know, just doing... One day I get home from school. It was two weeks after I had turned eight years old. My guitar was on the sofa. I walked in. And, and as, I, as I walked in, I saw the guitar there and it's leaning. My mom was in the kitchen doing what a good Mexican mama does. She was rolling out tortillas. So this is not my fault. Okay? <laughs> this is not my fault. I, I, we were poor. I couldn't be picky. And when I was, my mother would look at me, you better sit down and you eat it all. And so my real problem is not a weight issue. It's more a faithfulness issue. <laughs> I obeyed her and I continue to do so, you know, so pray for me, people. I don't, I don't know how to balance that out. I've been eating it all ever since. So anyway, I picked up the guitar. Mom didn't even know I was home. She's in the kitchen. She's rolling out tortillas and, and she's singing. My mama sang beautiful. And as she's singing, I put my fingers on the guitar, don't know how, and, and suddenly I, I strummed it, and it sounded right. So I began to play. And she's singing. Her voice would change, and I would change my fingers, and it sounded right. Change again, I'd change again, and it sounded right. So now I, I, it sounds right to me. Mom gets inspired. I think she assumed it was my dad. Because she came, you know, with dough in her hands and, and, and flour. And she's singing, Yo deseo tocar a Cristo. And she's coming out singing this song, I Desire to Touch Jesus. And she lifts her hands like that and I'm playing. And suddenly she opens her eyes and she sees me and she stops singing. And I stop playing and we looked at each other and she goes, It's you, mijo. I said, It's me, mama. Ah! we both started crying and the word that that lady gave my parents that at the age of eight I would 
begin to play the guitar and that I would play it for the rest of my life, it came true. So here I am, still doing it, right? So let me... So I spent a lot of years never even knowing because back then, you know, there weren't too many professional Christian musicians. Most of the guys that knew what they were doing, that could give you lessons, they were rock and rollers, they were weed smokers, they were whatever. So I was not allowed or encouraged to take lessons. How dare you go to the world to learn how to worship a holy God? You don't need that. You just need Jesus. So Jesus in His infinite mercy has helped me. Right? So because of God's grace and that passion, I think what God wants us to do is what David did in, in, the, sec- in the seventh chapter of Second Samuel. And I'm not going to read it all, but you guys have probably heard the story where David's in his palace and Nathan the prophet shows up and, and, and all of a sudden from David's heart he says, Nathan, I'm here in this house of cedar and my Lord dwells behind curtains. Now see, most Bible scholars think that David's heart was to build a temple for the Lord. But I'm not concerned with his goal. What my concern for you today was his motive. Why? Because if you remember the story, uh, Nathan in verse three of second chapter uh, of in seventh chapter of Second Samuel, he says in there, "Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you." Right? But then you go in verse 4 and you start reading and God speaks to Nathan and he even tells him, you go tell my son David, did I ever ask to live in a house? Did I ever do? And he said, in all this time with Israel, I've always been intense and I've never asked for a house to be built for me. And then he says, and you tell him that he's not the one that's going to build it for me. It's going to be his son. Right? When I read that, my mind said, wait, 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 wait. Lord, you're not supposed to contradict yourself, but it looks like you are. Because in verse 3, you said, go and do all that is in your heart. And then now you're you're telling him these rest of the verses, don't don't do it because you're not actually the one that's going to do it. What's going on? And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he goes, I didn't. Read it again. So I read it. I read it like three or four times and I kept thinking, I don't see it. It sounds like you're saying yes, and then you're turning around saying no. But then, I read verse 18. And when you get to verse 18, it says these words at the very beginning. It says, then went David in. Right? David went in and sat before the Lord. Now, see, this is really, really interesting. And I'm going to ask you the question, where was the Lord back in those days. Do you remember? He was in a place called the Holy of Holies. And according to the law, only the high priest could go in there one time, right? Once a year. No one else could. Yet it says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. Isn't that interesting? When I read those words, the Holy Spirit revealed to me what was in David's heart. Why do you think it called him a man after God's own heart? 
a man after, and that means a man who chased the heart of God. David said to, to, to Nathan, I'm here, but he's over there. I want to be where he is. I want to be where he is. That's why Nathan said, go and do what's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Right? Then David went in and sat before the Lord. And he asked the question, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you've brought me this far? I'm just a man. And yet for me, you change the rules. You let me into your very presence. And if you keep reading in there, I believe that David the prophet began to prophesy when he said, and this is just a small thing in your eyes. I believe he was already starting to understand one day every man, woman, and child can come where I've come today. One day they will all be able to enter into your presence. One day you will allow people to finally come before your presence. Back then we couldn't. Right? See, the whole thing is that our ambition should be to be in the presence of the living God. So I want to invite you today to do a little bit of that with me. I want to, I want to show you something. You guys remember a song... And I was sharing it with the with the musicians this morning. It's a song that that many many Christians over the years have done. It's it's an old chorus, and you guys probably remember it. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to. get to the point where we begin to use our gifts in order to reach deeper, go farther. Perhaps there's a, a day that we don't, we can't sing those words, not truthfully. Because there's pain, there's loss, there's hurt. 
His wounds. What if we sing it? Oh, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you, oh, my soul, rejoice, that we say but the way we set them and suddenly this celebration becomes a plea and that same words become I need I need your help I can't live without you so here I am because I don't know where else to go I don't know what else to do I don't even know what else to say I'm here to do what I've always done, to come to this building, sit in this chair. Take joy, my King, even through this pain, even through this loss, through my tears of bitterness and hurt. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound.
What I love about that message is I just feel like the Lord is telling me, Wayne, if you are ambitious for the right things in your worship, even amidst the tension and mess and brokenness of your life, I, the Lord, will bring resolve. Right? Amen. I will bring resolve. And there is tension in life, right? I mean, we, we say it often here at LifeSpring. Life is hard and people are messy. But God's desire is our hearts and our ambition in worship. Amen, amen, amen. Um, let me tell you a little bit about Johnny and his family. Uh, these folks are so open to surrendering whatever God has next in their life. Uh, there's probably been, I want to say seven, maybe eight times that the Lord has just said, pick up and move, right? And, uh, and I just have a new season, something else, something different for you. And um, and he said earlier, he's 53 years old. He's a grandpa now. He's kids and kids at college. And and, um, and the Lord has just done that again recently. Just said, uh, be ready for what's next. And uh, and every time what they've done, they've, they've learned to just travel light. Johnny's telling me the other day, what we do is we just open up the doors, we put up a for sale sign, and people just come buy all of our furniture, all of our pots and pans, all of our dishes. We just just give it away. Literally give it away to everyone. He talked about the one gentleman giving him a guitar. I can't tell you the number of guitars Johnny has given away and blessed people with. And he just gives it away. You need a dining room table, we're leaving, you take it. They just pack up a suitcase and a couple belongings, a guitar or two, put it in the smallest little U-Haul you can find, and they go to what's next. And just trust that when they get there, there will be a house, there will be furniture, there will be pots and pans and dishes, and everything they need to rebuild a life. And they haven't, they don't have a date yet, but here literally in the next several weeks, they'll be moving to Indianapolis, Indiana, to receive a new call in the Lord, and a new season, and a new church. Um, often what we do is, is we take a special offering. Um, this morning, what I want to tell you about is Johnny has some of his music. And you know us, we don't push these kind of things very often that much. But I just want to tell you that if you want to give an offering to help the Ramirez family in their next endeavor, their adventure. I love the fact that they're in a family that still adventures in the Lord at 53 years old. He's still saying, Lord, whatever's next, I'm there. And um, so these CDs are available outside. The, the first one's from a few years back, Johnny Ramirez, Second Nature. A lot of his uh, worship stuff is on here. I think his son plays drums on here as well as some of his other family members. His son actually helped produce this more recent CD, um, Say It Again, from Johnny Ramirez. So these are outside. You can see Cindy for those. Um, but this would be a great way to give an offering to their family. Um, even if you don't want the music, you feel free to bless you know bless them by putting money out there for them again Cindy will receive that out there um, or or buy a CD buy a couple give them away you know fantastic right can we thank him again and bless him amen and the last thing I want to say is if you need prayer this morning I know we want to release you but if you need prayer this morning a couple of us will be up here to pray for you if you want to just come shake Johnny's hand and thank you for coming that would be great Life spring, God bless you. Have a great, great rest of your weekend.